table. Hopefully everybody got one. So we're building on what we've been talking about the last four or five weeks, um, this idea of building spiritual maturity. So just quickly by way of review, discipleship, fellowship, and ministry, although we sometimes think of them as separate categories, they are all connected with what, uh, as Jerry Bridges talked about in his book, The Crisis of Caring, we would call uh, the life of Christ lived out together in the church. And so we both have and do fellowship. We minister to one another. And there is a, a process of discipleship that's going on in the midst of all of these things. And so uh, that is the foundation from which evangelism and missions flows out, that, that life in the church as we gather and then we scatter to do evangelism and missions. And so we think of the whole um, function, ministry, um, the nature of what the church is, and all those things are tied very closely together. And so in connection with those things, the goal that God is working out in the church is spiritual maturity. You start out, you believe in Jesus, you learn more about Him, you teach others about Him, you tell them about Jesus, you become more like Jesus through this process of change and growth. And so what can we do in the church to help encourage those things coming together? And so these different points are basically the points that we've been looking at the last month or so, that ministry, spiritual maturity comes from the Spirit's work, not our schemes, that we want to see organic relationships instead of just we've, we've checked things off in some sort of database tracking system. We want to have time with one another instead of just time in a classroom setting like this and that we need to recognize that people mature progressively and in different areas of their life all at the same time, that it's not automatic or linear. Uh, and so, in light of these things, let's take this idea that some of you have, have mentioned to me of if we wanted to have something uh, to help couples, for example, understand and live out their roles as husbands and wives and parents, how would we go about figuring out what we're going to do in the church to accomplish that goal? So we're just going to work through this as a kind of case study. We could apply it to anything. We could say, uh, we want to do something to teach teenagers. We want to do something to help, um, help guys be better men. We want to do, we could, we could apply it to any sorts of things, right? But the one that I want us to look at today is this idea of if we were going to plan something for couples, what are some of the different ideas that we would work through? So first of all, the first question, if maturity flows from the Spirit's work, not our schemes, where should we start the planning process? Okay, what does the Bible have to say about what we're supposed to be doing? And prayer. Because it's ultimately not our efforts, the amazing way that we organize everything that's going to be the solution to accomplish the goal, it's going to be if the Holy Spirit blesses and works in what we're doing. Okay, So scripture and prayer would be where we would start. Uh, what else would we want to start with? Shortly after that, but not the first thing. Who's in the church? We'd want to ask ourselves that question, right? So if it is, um, if it, let's say it's mostly older couples. If it's mostly older couples, we might not plan a ski trip. 
right? If it's mostly younger couples, we might not plan bingo. I'm just kidding. Okay? So there needs to be a little bit of awareness of the audience. So clearly it's God's work, but then we need to also look around and just observe where we're at so that we're not developing this whole thing that, that doesn't really fit for our church specifically. Okay? How should we then think about promoting the, and I put activity, event, or class, because it could be any one of those things. How should we think about promoting it? If it's the Spirit's work, not our schemes. Okay, more prayer. Good. What else? In the way that we present it, do we need to be upfront and honest about what we're doing in the event? Okay. Sometimes we say, well, we want a lot of people to come, so let's sort of hide away the parts that people might not be excited about and emphasize the things that will get everybody excited. Food, fun, you know, those sorts of things. And the Bible, you know, sort of tuck that away in the corner. Which hopefully is not as big, we don't feel that pressure with church people, church members, the same way that we might wrongly feel that pressure when encouraging unbelievers to come to the church or people that aren't a part of the church. But uh, it is something to consider that we might want to, that we might be tempted to promote in a way that's not entirely upfront and honest. Um, is it wrong for us to have an advertisement, to hand out a flyer, to uh, announce it periodically? No, I think that would be a good thing. So I was even thinking about the event at the Lamb's house yesterday. I don't think I ever posted their address. And maybe there was on the sheet. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I never said anything about it, so I thought, oh, I wonder if, if anybody was... Uh, um, curious about that, particularly for someone who's maybe not a part of our church. I think all of us would say, oh, well, we could just contact you if we needed to find it. But uh, So those sorts of details, I think, can be important, and that doesn't fight against it being the Spirit's work. It, it's just practical, helpful steps along the way. Uh, afterward, how do we evaluate the effectiveness of what we did? How do we tend to want to evaluate the effectiveness of a particular activity? Okay, lots of answers. Kel? Was it fun, Bruce? Yeah, the growth of the church to a certain Okay, that would be a good one. Well, let's, let's get a little more specific on that, Bob. How makes us feel? How makes us feel? Was it fun? So those are kind of the, probably the more selfish motivations. So how do we measure if it helped the growth of the church? Okay, yeah, conversions, good. What else? If it's just for church people, potentially, I mean, there could be conversions, but what else? Evan? Okay, are they doing what we talked about? How do we measure if people are doing what we talked about? You ask them. Okay, we see the fruit of the Spirit. We talk to them. There has to be a degree of time spent with one another. There has to be a degree of awareness of where people are at before it happens to compare it to how it is after it happens. Um, and because of some of these other things, it's not, it may not be this huge drastic change. So it might take some time to evaluate. Like We could do the thing and, and because of the point about it being progressive growth, it might take, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months before someone puts all of these particular 
um, things into practice. And so uh, I think remembering that it's God's work and it's dependent on the Spirit working in people's hearts means that we shouldn't be discouraged if we don't immediately see somebody doing all of the things perfectly that we talked about at the activity or that were mentioned in the class or whatever else. Um, anything else on this point? I think we kind of covered that part pretty well. Okay, so maturity flows from the Spirit's work, not our scheme. So prayer is very important. There's nothing wrong with promoting it and giving people the information that they need. And then in terms of evaluating how effective it was, we need to recognize that it's not going to be as neat and tidy as they attended, so now we're done. There's, there's going to be more involved in it. So that kind of leads us to the next part. If we want to see organic relationships develop versus relying on kind of mechanical database kind of tools, how should we assign groups for interaction, assuming there's going to be some kind of interaction in the class, activity, event, whatever it might be? How, how would we assign groups for interaction? What would be our thought process for putting people in certain groups together? Bob? Okay. You probably put one that maybe is a little bit more seasoned and less okay. seasoned so that they can there can be growth Okay, Kelly? Okay, so the Titus two kind of idea that we're gonna put older to teach younger. Okay. Retta? Okay. Yeah. So potentially people who have things in common and maybe conversely, maybe things that they don't have in common so they can learn from each other because uh, especially in a larger context, what tends to happen is you have all the people who are in their early 30s with three kids gravitate and hang out with one another. That's not bad, but it's not like most of them are adding anything new to the conversation. Because they all know about as much as each other. Whereas if you have uh, an older couple and a younger couple, you have someone who just had a baby, you have someone who has elementary kids, you have someone who has teenagers, you have someone who has grown children, there's a, there's a degree of helpful conversation that can happen that, that won't happen uh, otherwise. Uh, and, you know, I don't think we need to look at it as this is punishment time, we're going to split up all the groups of people who spend time with each other, but there's perhaps a degree to which if I'm going to lead or organize something well, I might say, I notice these two people talk a lot I'm gonna, to each other. I'm going to put them in different groups so that they have opportunity to build a relationship with other people. And, you know, I think there's a degree to which we want to get to the point where we do that kind of automatically on our own. We say, you know what, I spent a lot of time with this person in the last six months. Let me come talk to this person over here. Not out of a sense of guilt or obligation, more than just we, have a, we need to minister to everyone in the church. Um, when or how will we have more checkpoints to see progress? So if it's not just you attended the class, you completed the coursework, I mean, those are easy checkpoints from an academic perspective, but they don't actually test is the person putting things into, into practice. So how would we then have more checkpoints down the road beyond just the, the thing that we, we set up? Bob? Okay, yeah, some kind of scheduled follow-up. What else? Paul. Expectations of the mentor 
Okay, yeah, so maybe thinking about when we're planning whatever it is, we say, here are the goals we'd like to accomplish, but write them, um, you know, so a lot of the business world type things, I think, are sometimes wrongly imported into the church, but um, there are things that are helpful in the way that businesses think through their goals, and we can't let that become in place of the Spirit's work, but in, in terms of if we say, what are the goals? We would start with, here's how the Bible describes the goal to be, and then we would want to try to word it in a way that's specific and clear that we can actually follow up on. So if it's something generic like, we want couples to be better couples. That's great, but you can't measure that. If it's, we want to see couples uh, reading the Bible together three times a week. That's much more measurable. That's something you could ask a question about. Someone might not like you asking that question, but you could ask a question about that. So th that, that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about. We need to have uh, build-in possibilities for evaluation and use specific questions. Yes? I think it's great to have a, a goal as the, the event or the class or whatever we're putting together, but also one of the best questions I've learned in my business is ask each individual, what is it that you're hoping to gain from this? Sure. Because, yeah, the, the organizers are going to have a goal in hopefully the attendees are going to have similar goals, but there might be a specific goal, and giving them the opportunity to verbalize that mm -hmm. helps those putting it on, and it helps them to also clarify it in their mind as well so that they can begin to measure it. Yeah, so let's say that your goal is to go to the thing because you want all your problems to magically disappear. No one's going to phrase it quite like that, but that could be the gist of it. If you say that, then that helps the person who's leading whatever it is to say, okay, here's a, an unrealistic expectation, and we can then build into what we're talking about. What does the Bible actually have to say to correct that viewpoint? And how can we help lead that person from maybe more of a slightly selfish goal to a more biblical goal, which is, I want to draw closer to God through this. And yes, hopefully that will then impact these things, but it's not going to immediately make everything evaporate that's making me miserable. If it's, if it's some kind of conflict between between couples or something along those lines. Okay, number three. If we want to see time with one another instead of just classrooms, I think we need to ask questions like, what part of the project is best served by a class? So, again, broad topic we're using as a case study. Couples knowing more about how to be husbands, wives, parents. What part of that is best served by a class? Okay, maybe break it, potentially be tied to age groups and what might be happening at each point. Uh, Paul? Okay. Yeah, a class setting is great for communicating information. So here's what the Bible says about three things husbands should do, three things wives should do, three things parents should do. And maybe it's not three, maybe it's five or 20. You know, there's a lot in the Bible about these topics. But the class would communicate that information. Bob, you had something? Would you consider this a classroom setting? Uh, this, right now? Yeah. So, I mean, one classroom 
setting is where there's only instruction. Sure. Because there's feedback here, it's almost a hybrid right. class because yeah. there's input, there's feedback. So I don't know how we classify that, but I think a lot gets done in that setting where people can give feedback. Yeah, so I mean, there can be different degrees of it. Um, um, I think we'd recognize, though, uh, going to the next question, what part of the project is best served by more informal times? I think you and I would have a different mindset being in here, whether I'm lecturing or whether we're having kind of a discussion. We'd have a little bit different mindset coming to this context versus what we saw last night when we were just having conversations around a meal and snacks and what we were doing there. Not saying that either is right or wrong, just that they're slightly different. One has more of an informal feel, and I think both are important. So what, what would be, what parts of a project like this, we want to encourage couples to be more godly couples, what part of that would be served by something more like getting together at someone's house and having a more informal interaction? Bob? Growth in the relationship of the individuals. Okay. Kind of that evaluation process would be served a lot better by that, maybe. Okay, like going to a retreat or something like that? Yeah, maybe again, a bunch of people in your group going to a park or something like that. Or yeah, sure. Maybe taking a short drive trip someplace. Okay. I, so, both the follow-up and maybe even the initial assessment from the perspective of if, if a husband and a wife are having some kind of a conflict, it usually is not going to be like in the middle of Sunday school because that's when we're all on our best behavior, right? But in the context of some of some of you are not, is that why you're not sitting by Tina because you don't want to get in trouble? No, I'm just kidding. I know, I know. Yeah, but I'm just saying in in the context of what you're talking about, Bruce. If you're going on a trip, so just personal confession time. I get stressed when we're packing the car for trips. So if I'm going to if I'm going to say, when are times that reveal the conflicts and the points at which I need to love my wife and kids more, it's when we're packing the car for the trip, reveals it in a totally different way than if we're just having a, you know, a, a, contact, a conversation at church. Uh, so I, I think those are good opportunities for both evaluating where we need to grow and have we grown and all of that. Okay? Anything else on this idea? Informal versus formal? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let's say there's a principle of communication, be honest, and then you have conversations with people. Well, there's your opportunity to be honest about whatever it might be. Uh, Paul. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So there has to be some measure of guidance. So if, if, and there has to be a degree of commitment by the people involved that even though this is informal, it's not unspiritual, if we want to make that distinction, because we could have an informal time and we could have a great conversation about the tigers and the weather and the, what we're going to do this summer, and that's not going to contribute to this goal at all, necessarily. So, yeah, that's a good point, Paul. All right, number four then. If we realize that people mature progressively, not automatically, 
who's going to participate in this thing for couples and which parts of it? So let's say, will only currently married people participate? Maybe those not yet married, those who are widowed or divorced? What parts of this whole process would be helpful for everyone to participate in, for a smaller group to participate in? Paul? Okay. Okay, so for example, if we said, here's what a marriage looks like, it would be perfectly appropriate for, you know, kids and those who aren't married to be a part of it, okay? What about from a perspective of, um, of uh, the, uh, uh, if the goal is to say, here are, maybe, here's a testimony about things I've learned in connection with marriage. Could you have someone who's widowed or divorced share on that subject? Yeah, I think absolutely, because I think, uh, I think to the degree that what they're saying reflects scriptural perspective on all those things, I think that, that could be very helpful. Because, you know, for example, there, are, there is a strong push in, in our culture to say it doesn't matter. Don't, I think maybe 20 years ago the big push was this. You have to worry about what your kids believe. Let them figure it out on their own. And my thought is, if you have kids who don't know what cereal they want to eat for breakfast, what clothes they want to wear, change their minds 30 times about they want, what they want to do with their lives, why would you take something so important as whether you believe in God, whether you are, 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 are committed to following Jesus, why would you take something like that and say, well, let them figure it out on their own? I mean, it's not, this is a really important thing. It's not... It's not something that's so minor like, what's your favorite color? It, it really makes n little or no difference to the, to the trajectory of your life if that changes. But particularly if there are parents who haven't figured out what they believe, and then communicate to their kids it doesn't matter what they believe, and all those sorts of things, that's where I think it's really helpful for, for kids to observe biblical principles and, and, and see what's being taught there. And... Um, not just sort of leave it up to chance that hopefully they all figure it out. Now there's a degree to which parents have a responsibility to be teaching kids about what's marriage supposed to look like and all those sorts of things, but there's a number of factors that could impact that. When a parent first trusts Jesus, if you trust Jesus when you're 40 or 50, you've kind of missed that window to teach your kids what a godly marriage looks like from personal experience. I'm not saying you can never give them any input on that, but it, it, it's not going to happen the same way that it would as if you're saved when you're a kid or in your 20s. And so that's where I think the church can step in and fill some of the, that gap so that between the parent's role and the church's role, God's truth is communicated. So what part then would be, uh, who, who would we ask to lead different segments of the project? How, how would we think through who's going to do what and why we would ask them to do one thing versus another? Let's say there's, go ahead, Paul. Okay, okay. So experiencing the topic, what else? Let's say someone says, I absolutely don't want to get in front of people. Design them to Maybe give them a little bit of a nudge. 
But I think we also have to recognize not everyone is specifically gifted to teach a class, but that doesn't mean they have nothing to contribute. So one idea that I had was maybe we could have someone who says, I don't really want to get up in front of people. Maybe we could have them record a testimony or some observations beforehand, and then we could watch a video or listen to a recording of it. It's not the only solution, but it might be one of many solutions to that. The other solution is throw them in the deep end of the pool and say, hey, swim, good luck. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so someone could have one-on-one -on -one or, you know, one-on-three, something like that, which is not nearly as intimidating as in front of everyone. Uh, so that, that's definitely a possibility. What else? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that. Sometimes with a panel discussion, one of the challenges is getting the people to have enough time to answer the questions the way that they want. So it could, let's say we only have, you know, 40 minutes in the Sunday school hour. We could have even like one or two people and then have a couple of people the next week. It wouldn't have to be everybody who want to speak all in one week. It could be kind of a sequential panel discussion. Or it could be the same people several weeks in a row. There's a number of ways to do something like that, but a panel discussion. Uh, one of the intimidating things about panel discussions is if you don't know what question you're going to be asked beforehand, some people kind of freeze up. Uh, so maybe coming up with a list of questions beforehand and factoring that in in terms of who we ask to do that. But that's where I think, so obviously there's a little bit of a tension, I think, in connection with wrestling through when, when we see in Titus 2, Older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women. Um, but let's say, for example, uh, Alberta or Kitsi have perhaps a unique perspective on their ministry alongside and with their husbands in times of physical suffering for long stretches. I don't think that there would be any necessarily theological objection to having either of them share a testimony and all of us listen to that testimony. I don't think that's instruction in the formal sense of here's the passage of Scripture and, and, and it's being proclaimed authoritatively and they're like going off on their own and they're like, we're going to lead a faction away from the church. Because I think that was the big thing that Paul was guarding against is men not being lazy and passive and giving up their responsibility and women not seizing control of the church because the men are, are to sort of fill the gap because the men aren't doing what they're supposed to do. So, you know, every church is going to land a little bit differently on that. Some are basically say you can only teach kids until they're 8 or 10 and then you're done. I don't think we would go to that extreme, but also I think we do need to factor those sorts of things in. So I, I think there would be a place for ladies in the church sharing particular things. And depending on the context, those things would be more or less specific. If it's with a group of ladies, I think, or, you know, a guy with a group of men, I think you can be very much more specific in the nature of what you're sharing and how you're sharing it than if it's the whole group of the church with kids or just with adults. Those are all the things we have to factor in. Um, how do we encourage along those lines humility and mutual admonishing? What I mean by that is if, if I teach you every week, it would be easy for me to develop the attitude that I know everything and you just need to listen to what I'm going to say. And that would be foolish of me to think that. So how do we um, have people in positions of leadership but still recognize there's a degree that all of us need to be keep speaking God's word into each other's lives? 
Bob? I mean, the most efficient way, absolutely, is for prayer. Okay. <clears throat> because none of us are going to, apart from the Spirit of God, seek humility. Okay. And, I don't know, I, I think anytime, especially if we're praying with other people, there is an opportunity to be humble. Yeah. And so <clears throat> there should be prayer individually, but also as a group to kind of direct that right spirit. Okay. Good. Other thoughts on this? How else do we accomplish this goal of humility and mutually admonishing one another? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Paul? Say that one more time. Okay. 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 Good. Maybe part of it, too, would be to have some degree of rotation. So, for example, on Wednesday nights, Bob and I are going to trade off on leading the discussion. And uh, that's not me trying to be lazy and say I don't want to prep every week for Wednesday night. That's me saying the church is not just me. And so there's opportunities, I think, for different people to lead discussions or teach different things. And... I'll be honest, if you are the person who does a particular thing every week, there's a particular way that you like to do it, there's particular ways that you think about things, and it's hard to give that up, whether it be you're the person who plays the piano or leads the music or teaches the Sunday school class or whatever else. But I think it's healthy for the church. I don't know that we necessarily need to do the brethren model of like there's a different person every week and you just rotate through ten people. But at the same time, I, I do think that there is some value in, in um, hearing from different people in the church, if nothing else, because of different perspectives as we all read God's Word together. And I'm not saying different perspectives like there's multiple meanings of the text. I'm just saying we're going to come to the text in a different way because of our life experiences, and that can be helpful as long as we say, here's what the Scripture says, and we stick to it and are accurate and faithful with it. So, so as we bring all these ideas together... What then might we, would we be doing one thing or maybe two or three different things related to couples potentially to accomplish all of these goals? Paul? Let me, let me rephrase the question. Are we going to have different kinds of things that we do to accomplish the goal? Like, for example, would we potentially consider having a Sunday school class? Would we potentially consider having a couples retreat? Would we potentially consider having some activities at people's houses? Would we need to do all three of those things potentially to accomplish the goals we're talking about? Okay. Okay, okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Sure. Okay. Any other thoughts on this? Kel? Okay. Yeah, you guys are thinking, I think, more who's going to be involved, and I'm thinking more like what kinds of things would we do to accomplish the goal, which they're connected. So, um, yeah, that's, those, are, those are good points. Any other thoughts on this? If we said what's the next step to accomplishing a goal like helping couples understand and live out their roles as husbands, wives, and parents, what might be the what might be an easy first step of, of, uh, of doing that? Yeah. There's a duration. It's going to be one 30 minute class or 30 minute class. Okay. Multiple classes. Okay. Evan? So kind of narrowing the topic and the, the, the goal of what we're trying to do. Okay. Good. Any other thoughts on that, that part of things, Bob? Identifying who would be participating. Okay. And I don't know which would uh, be first, you know, the, the, the chicken or the egg. Who's participating and then determine what the topic is or what the topic is and then who's participating. Okay. Good. Anything else? Okay. So what I'm trying to accomplish as we think through this is, is keep bringing us back to this idea that whatever we're doing needs to be guided by biblical principles. And if we, if we believe these are biblical principles that we looked at from the crisis of caring, true communion book, that we should be having fellowship. And then if we think that these are true principles that we've talked about the last four or five weeks, that our fellowship, our discipleship, our ministry should be this and not this, or this and not exclusively this, then those sorts of things are then going to sort of filter out different possibilities as we try to plan different, um, different activities or classes or things for our church to accomplish these goals. Obviously, the long-term goal, I think, is that everyone has a pretty solid foundation on what the biblical truth is, and maybe that's the case for most people in our church. Maybe it's not, with something we'd have to assess. And it, once that foundation has been established, then it's more of 
spending more time in one-on-one -on -one and small groups and, and with targeted settings, trying to work some of those things out. Being honest with one another and saying, did, did you and your wife have any conflicts this week? But that's kind of a step from God says you're supposed to love your husband or wife to did you have a fight this week? How did you help your husband or wife spiritually this week? I mean, that's kind of, they're connected, but there's some intervening steps along the way. And so it's going to take, I think, some time for each of us to get comfortable with one another, to be able to, to have those open and honest conversations. There has to be agreement on what God says we should do, first of all. And then there has to be some interaction where we feel more comfortable with one another. And then I think we've kind of built the foundation to have those really helpful conversations that I think tend not to happen in, in huge group settings, but that are very important and necessary. Any other thoughts on all of this as we wrap up this morning? I don't want to make it sound like I have no ideas whatsoever about how we're going to go about this, because I do. But I want this to be something that we're all thinking about together because I can say, here's this idea and I really believe in it and I want us all to do it. And if you're not convinced of it, it's not going to happen. So that, that's part of why we're walking through this process. And so uh, my plan would be to take what we're looking at here, to think about it some more. I think what we're going to start doing next probably in Sunday school is start looking through the church bylaws toward a view of, of, uh, of clarifying some things in those. But then later in the summer, what I'd like to do is take some of these thoughts from what we've talked about the last four weeks and even the six or eight weeks before that, take all these ideas and say, all right, now let's do something with them, maybe starting later in the summer, maybe starting in the fall. And then, you know, it doesn't just have to be something for couples. That's just the illustration that I use. I think we need to do the same sort of evaluation for what we're doing with kids' Sunday school, what we're doing with people being involved in different parts of ministry in the church, whether that be teaching Sunday school, uh, well, kids' Sunday school, like, what are they learning? But then also, who's teaching Sunday school? Who's leading in music and using their spiritual gifts that way? I mean, I think we need to go through this evaluation process with a lot of things. We can't do everything all at once, but this is something kind of like the start of a process of us continuing to evaluate these things. And so that's, uh, that's kind of like a really short summary of where I hope we might go with these things. Any other thoughts as we wrap up? Bob? You know, also one of the things that we talked about is giving some of the more seasoned individuals opportunity to not just Yeah. And so that's where I think things would come in where you, if you're creative, you can use a lot of different things, whether that be hobbies or skills or whatever, as jumping off points for evangelism particularly, but also discipleship. And so thinking more broadly about those things, not so much as tasks or as things that always have to be done in isolation, but thinking about how we can invite people in to participate with us in different things. Does that mean that things may not always go according to plan or as quick as we would like? Yeah, I mean, if you say, 
hey, I'm going to show this person how to plant a tree. Well, if you've planted 50 trees, you're going to be able to do it way faster than somebody that's never planted one. But if you invite somebody along to do that with you and you show them the process and you talk with them as they're going through the thing, those are, those are good opportunities. And you say, I would never want to plant a tree. Then pick something else. It could be whatever. But opportunities to, instead of saying in our, in our individualized American perspective, I do my things on my own time by myself to start thinking more, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm not trying to get free labor, but I'm going to invite somebody over and say, hey, you want to work on this with me? I'd be happy to work on something with you and, and, ha and create these opportunities for, for conversation and for interaction and for meaningful encouragement for one another. That's a good point, Bob. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we thank you for the truths from your word. We recognize that the task of seeing people grow spiritually is a task that's impossible in our own strength and with our own um, ideas about things, but that your spirit empowers what we see taught in your word and, and creates this change and growth in our lives. Lord, our, our goal is not to develop some sort of... Uh, Here's the six-step process to spiritual growth, but to just draw closer to you, to be a little bit organized about it so that it actually happens, so that good intentions are followed through by, by doing what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we pray for wisdom and grace as we seek to carry out these things, and uh, pray that we will have a good service to follow here in a few minutes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.